Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Good morning, City Light. You all look awful. Lee, good today, okay? You're all looking good. Thanks for jumping into Ugly Christmas Sweater Sunday with us. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but Christmas is in full swing at my house, and it is not just ugly sweaters. The tree is decorated. The lights are lit. The stockings are hung by the chimney with care, and bedtime Bible stories are all about Jesus. We are loving it. And as we uh, were decorating, my daughter, she found a little plastic bag with some hand-carved pieces of a nativity set. And inside the bag with the pieces was a little card that said that it was a family from Bethlehem that hand-carved those pieces from wood that they got from Bethlehem. So maybe... Jesus' manger in our nativity set is carved from wood from a tree that descended from the tree that was used to carve Jesus' very own manger. I think that's all a gimmick, um, but uh, it, it sold somebody on it who gave it to our family, and my daughter thought it was pretty cool. So we're setting this up. It's hand-carved, and uh, honestly, that just means we don't know which piece is which. We're trying to set it up, and a couple of them look like they're kneeling, and so we thought, maybe Mary and Joseph, they're usually like kneeling, and some of them either have hats or really big heads, and so we thought, probably wise men, but there were only two, not three. Three, so we didn't know. Honestly, we just have no clue. We just put them up uh, together. But since we couldn't tell which was which, we started this conversation about who is actually in the nativity scene, who was at the manger. And so we kind of boiled it down to three levels, all right? On the basic level, a nativity set has to have at least three people, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus. If you don't have them, it's just not a legit manger scene, okay? So you got to have that. But then if you level up, you're going to throw in the shepherds and the wise men, right? You got a crowd now gathered around the baby. So that's sort of level two. But if you're going to go all out and you're going to put it all together, then you got some barnyard animals, you got some angels on sticks up high, and you got a star somewhere, right? That one takes up your whole coffee table. It's the real deal. And so as we were talking about this, we just realized not every nativity set is the same. They don't all have all the same characters. They each kind of focus on or zoom in on some people and not others. And what we realized is, Man, when we read the Bible, the four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, they're kind of the same. Jesus has four people who wrote an account of his life in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one of them gives a unique perspective on the story of Jesus' life. And so let me just walk you through it a little bit. If you start at Matthew... Matthew kind of focuses on Joseph, Jesus' dad, and Herod, and the wise men, and John the Baptist. That's the first three chapters of Matthew. And then you flip a few pages forward, we come to Mark. Mark skips over the birth of Jesus altogether, and he just introduces us to Jesus at his baptism. He's just ready to go uh, get dunked, all right? Then you flip a few more pages, and you come to the book of Luke, and Luke kind of builds out the story a little bit. He starts with a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are John the Baptist's 
parents and they tell that story and then Elizabeth, her cousin Mary, was Jesus' mom and she made the trip to Bethlehem and you know the story about the innkeeper who didn't have any room so he kicks a very pregnant woman in labor pains uh, to stay the night in a barn and she delivers Jesus and the angels come and declare good news of great joy to all the shepherds in their fields at night, right? So Luke sort of builds it out and so when we look at the first three gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew and Luke, they sort of start us at the birth of Jesus. Mark starts at the baptism of Jesus. And then John, he takes a different route altogether. That's what we've been looking at the last couple weeks. John takes us all the way back to creation and says that Jesus was alive and active even then, at the beginning of beginnings. He says that that same Jesus who was alive and active back then when creation was happening, he entered into creation, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. So he's saying that the story of Jesus didn't begin with the birth of a baby, it crescendoed with the birth of a baby. And even in that kind of eternal, cosmic look at the Christmas story, he makes room to use a couple verses to tell us about one other character. It's John the Baptist. That's what Jordan read for us earlier. And so I don't know if you noticed this, but that means that outside of Jesus himself, there's only one other person mentioned at the beginning of the account of Jesus' life in all four Gospels. And it's not uh, the shepherds or the wise men. It's not even Mary or Joseph. It's somebody who I've never seen in any nativity set anywhere. The only person outside Jesus that's mentioned at the beginning of his ministry in all four Gospels is John the Baptist. Did you know that? I didn't know that. It was fun to learn. So this morning, I want to introduce you to this guy, John the Baptist. And as we look at Jesus' story, the story of God's plan to save his people from their sin, from death to life, and shine the light of that good news for all the world to see, as we look at Jesus' story, I want to ask the question, what's the big deal about John the Baptist? Why does he make it into all four accounts of Jesus' life? What do we have to learn from him? So here's where we're going today. This is the outline for those of you who like an outline. We're gonna talk about John and find out it's not about you, it's all about Jesus. We're gonna talk about John, find out it's not about you, it's all about Jesus. That's where we're headed. So let's talk about John a little bit, all right? Um, just from the outset, let's put it out there. It's a little weird that the book of John is talking about a guy named John. Nobody would blame you if you wondered, is that the same guy? Are they different guys? What's going on? Let me just set it straight. They're different guys, okay? I, it sort of reminds me of my wife. She has only one brother, and his name is Eric. So her only brother and her husband are both named Eric. Little weird, okay? Uh, it gets a little confusing, but it is what it is, all right? Two guys, same name. That's what's happening here. The Apostle John is writing about John the Baptist. Okay, with that out of the way, we ask the question, what is the big deal about John the Baptist? And anytime we have a question like that, the Bible is always a good place to start. So let's read together again John chapter 1, verse 6. It goes like this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So the very first thing we learn about John the Baptist is that he was sent from God. That is a big deal. And this statement here is not like the generic, hey, we're all sent out sort of statement. This is a statement saying that God sent John to fulfill his promises to his people. This is a big deal. See, way back in the Old Testament, when God's prophets told God's people about God's plan to send someone to save them from their sin, part of that plan was that God would send a herald, somebody who would announce and prepare the way before Jesus the Savior came. And that guy is John. So think about the old time, in the old days when kids would stand on the corner selling newspapers and they would just shout out the headlines before you got to read the whole story. That was a herald. They're heralding the news. Kings used to send that kind of person out ahead of them when they traveled so that their people would know they were coming. It was a herald. The king is coming. The king is coming. That's John. He's heralding, announcing, preparing the people for their coming king. Now let me show it to you in the Old Testament, all right? Here's how Isaiah wrote it. God's word through Isaiah was this. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And John in those verses was, or Isaiah in those verses was talking about John. It was his voice crying out in the wilderness, the king is coming. He's saying every valley will be lifted up, every mountain will be made low. Why? So that nothing obstructed the view of Jesus when he showed up. Jesus is coming. John was heralding the coming king. And then later, Malachi would repeat the same thing. Here's how Malachi said it. He said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Friends, that's John again, a messenger filled with the spirit and power of God's greatest prophets to prepare the way for the coming Savior before the great day comes. That's John, a herald, a messenger. So when the Old Testament talked about John, he was a big deal. And then we flip the pages and get into the New Testament, and guess what? Nothing changes. Still a big deal. Uh, the angel Gabriel, one of God's mighty angels in the Bible, he announced the birth of John before he was even conceived. Luke tells us it happened. Gabriel announced it to his dad. Here's what uh, the Bible says. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. 
And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what Malachi was talking about. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Friends, Gabriel confirmed it. John is the, uh, the man that Malachi and Isaiah prophesied about. He was the great herald that would prepare the way for the coming king. He was a big deal because when John came, it meant that God's savior, his promised king, his one and only son was coming right on John's heels. John was a big deal. Uh, and friends, Gabriel said that John's uh, whole purpose was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John's point, the point of his heralding was to prepare people to meet Jesus. It's what John was all about. And he tells us what that preparation would look like. What does it look like to prepare your heart to meet Jesus? Well, John said it was a turning. Something in your heart makes a turn. Did you catch that when we were reading what Gabriel said? He said that John would turn the hearts of God's people to God. He would turn the hearts of fathers to their children. He would turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. The, pre the preparations for Jesus' coming was a heart-level turn. And so that means we don't prepare for Jesus like we prepare for our mother-in-law coming over for Christmas dinner. You don't do the deep clean in the house and get out the nice silverware to try to be as impressive as you can be. That's just not what it's about. It's a different sort of thing. John said that a heart a preparation for Jesus coming is a heart level preparing for Jesus to clean you up from the inside out. Amen? And so, this morning, I want to look at John the Baptist's own life as an example of what this heart-level turn looks like, okay? Um, let me show it to you in the next couple verses. What does the heart-level turn look like? What do we turn from? What do we turn to? We'll look at John 1 again. Let me read you verse 8. It says, He, John, was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So what do we learn about John? He was not the light. This is like an identity statement, okay? The Bible's telling us who John is and who he is not. He is a witness to the light, but he is not the light, all right? Now, that can be kind of hard to comprehend. John's a big deal. We just got done saying that. He was the fulfillment of several Old Testament prophecies. A mighty angel announced that he would be born to an old barren woman, and then it happened. That's a, a pretty good resume if you're sent from God, right? John's a big deal, yet still he is not the light. 
He knew who he was and he embraced that identity. So just a few verses later, John's gonna say that he's not worthy even to untie Jesus' sandals. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never owned sandals that need tied and untied, so I've wondered, what is that about? I've never seen that, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is that even the lowliest act of service to Jesus seemed like far too high an honor for John. You're tracking with me? He is not the light. Jesus was the light. And later on, John's followers are going to notice Jesus comes on the scene and John had uh, gathered these big crowds. People wanted to hear what he had to say. He had a name and some fame and some influence. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he draws bigger crowds than John. And not only that, some of John's followers check out on John and go join Jesus' crowd. And so the followers of John that remain with him, they complain to him and they say, hey man, all are following him. Everybody's going after Jesus. And you know how John responded? He said, he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Eric translation Jesus is a way bigger deal than me. That should be happening. His name, his fame, his influence, his teaching, his glory, his grace, his following, it will only continue to grow. I will only continue to fade and I'm gonna celebrate that rather than compete with it. He must increase. I must decrease. And I read passages like that, and I reflect on a man like John, and I just wonder, where do you find humility like that? How do you get to a point where you're okay fading into the background as somebody else takes over? Where do you find that? I think John found it because he knew his place in God's plan. God's great plan to save his people from their sin did not center on John the Baptist. It centered on Jesus Christ. It's not about John. And he knew that and he embraced it. And so City Light, let me give you some good news today. It's not about you either. The gospel is not about you. You are not the main character. You are not the main attraction. You are not the headline act. God's great plan to redeem his people from their sin is not primarily about you. And that is good news, friends. It's good news. And so uh, I just want to say that's the first step in John's heart level turning, preparing for Jesus, the coming king. We turn from this is all about me to something else, all right? So it's just not about you. Let's say that. I think uh, this is just natural for most people. It's part of our human nature in this world to want to make everything about ourselves. I want to make it about me. You want to make it about you. It's just kind of who we are. I realized this uh, a few weeks ago. I was riding in my truck with my two youngest boys, Jonah six, Iris four. So we're driving across town. Jonah says, hey dad, can we go to the College World Series? And I said, yeah, buddy, that'd be fun, but it's a long ways away from right now. And he said, okay, and he thought for a moment, and then he said, but dad, Christmas is close, right? And I smiled, yeah, buddy, Christmas is just a few weeks away. And before I could even get that answer 
out of my mouth, my four-year-old Ivor, he pipes in and said, wait, what? Christmas is close? I haven't even finished circling my presents yet. <laughs> like, you know what he's talking about? The Target ad comes in the mail and you gotta flip through and circle everything you want. When Ivor heard that Christmas was coming, the highest priority in his life was making sure that everybody knew what presents he wanted this year. That's hard to blame him because he's only four. But I think it just goes to show that making, you, you don't have to be taught to make Jesus' story all about you. That comes naturally to us. It's not about you. I, I just think it's kind of silly if we think about it. If we look up from it, it's kind of silly to make a story about something uh, smaller than it is. It's kind of silly for us to make the good news of Jesus all about us, but we do this kind of stuff. Um, it's like, imagine a marching band walked by, and after the marching band walks by, you turn to the people next to you and say, man, my favorite part of that whole thing was the banner in the front with the school name on it, right? Like a marching band walks by, it's meant to be heard and enjoyed. The flag spinners are meant to be seen and enjoyed. And you say your favorite part was the banner? It didn't even make a sound. That'd be silly, right? It might be like um, watching Doug preach a sermon from this stage one day. And afterwards, turning to the person next to you and saying, man, did you see that soul patch? <laughs> that was my favorite part, right? That's not just silly, that's crazy. It's like peach fuzz, it barely counts as facial hair. That shouldn't be anybody's favorite part of anything, right? <laughs> it would be silly to see the band and celebrate the banner. It would be silly to hear the sermon and miss the Savior. And friends, that's the heart that John is getting after here. He doesn't want anybody to see him and miss Jesus. John knew he was not the light. And so he wanted everybody that saw him to see past him to the one he was heralding, the one he was pointing to. And that heart has been a part of God's people ever since. Look at uh, the way that the great church planter and missionary, the Apostle Paul, wrote to one of the churches that he started. He said it like this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See what he's saying? Man, it's not about us. We're just servants. We just want you to see Jesus. It's all about him. He's the Lord. We're nothing. We're just servants. It's not about us. It's all about him. And so John was awesome, but he wasn't Jesus. Paul was awesome, but he wasn't Jesus. You are awesome. I mean it. I love you guys, but you're not Jesus. And what that means is the good news of God's great plan to save his people from their sin, to shine light into darkness, to give life where only death reigned, it is not primarily about you. You are not the main character or the hero or the headline of the event. And so the first step in this heart level turn to prepare for Jesus means we accept this one is not about us. Are you with me? It's not about you. That's number one. So 
John is not the light. God's plan to save his people is not all about him. That's who John is not, okay? Now let's look at who John is. This is John chapter one. We'll read verse seven. It says this. He, John, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Who is John? I would say it like this. He is a witness that bears witness. Okay, if you're taking notes, write that one down. Who's John? He's a witness that bears witness. What does that mean? It means he saw Jesus and he told people what he saw. He knew Jesus and he told people about what he knew. John was a witness who bore witness about the light. It means he told people about Jesus because even though he wasn't the light and it wasn't about him, he knew the light and he knew it was all about Jesus. He said Jesus was in the beginning with God and he was God. In Jesus is life and that life is the light of all men. It was Jesus who stepped out of heaven to wrap himself in flesh and live among us. He said whoever believes in Jesus, it's Jesus that gives them the right to become children of God. It is all about Jesus and those statements come just from the very beginning of the book of John. And the whole gospel and the whole Bible is trying to tell us the message. It is all about Jesus. Amen? And so John knew it's not about you. It's all about him. God's great plan to save his people from their sins centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. John knew that. And it's why he was okay with Jesus increasing as he decreased. But John knew he was the herald that shouted, The king is coming! The king is coming! And guess what? When the king came, the herald's work was done. John told his friends later on that he was like the best man to a groom. Okay, here's the picture. Jesus is a groom. He's coming to see the church, his bride, God's people. And John's just like the best man. And so he runs out to the bride and says, the groom is coming, the groom is coming. And guess what? When the groom gets there, the best man's work is done. John is saying the real party happens when the one who is announced arrives. The real celebration happens when the people meet their king. The real celebration happens when the bride meets her groom. And so John said, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus, so I'm just going to get out of the way. He's a witness that bears witness so that all might believe in Jesus Christ. And so the first part of John's heart-turned preparation for Jesus is we accept it's not about you, and then we turn and embrace it's all about Jesus. Are you tracking with me? So I want to close out here by saying I think John's identity shows us two ways that we can make this Christmas season we can uh, stick to the reality that the gospel as a whole is all about Jesus. Two ways to do that. John was a witness to bear witness. So what do we do? Be a witness and bear witness. Okay, how do we make it all about Jesus? Be a witness and bear witness. Let's close by looking at this. Friends, can I just encourage you, especially in this season, would you witness Jesus? 
Would you be a witness of who Jesus is and what he's doing? Would you have the eyes of your heart opened and looking so that you see him and you have a personal account of what he has done for you and what he is doing around you? And just in case you think, man, that just sounds like pastor talk. What does that actually look like? I want to get really practical this morning. What does it look like for us to be a witness here and now? Um, I asked my city group about this last week. I said, how how have you seen and experienced the life and light of Jesus recently? In other words, how have you witnessed him? And uh, here's a few of the things that they said. Number one, look for Jesus in his people. How you see Jesus, you look for him in his people. Um, Chris and Sean Hawkins, good friends of mine in my city group, uh, they have a couple boys that have just grown up and they're moving out of the house. And so Shauna, she was cleaning up one of her boys' bedrooms who's moving out. And as you can imagine, she's just an emotional wreck, right? And in the middle of that, just processing uh, this new stage in life, um, her friend Megan, who also goes to our church, calls her up and says, hey, Shauna, can I grab some coffee uh, and come over? Shauna, through tears, says, no, you don't want to do that right now. Here's what's going on. And Megan listened to Shauna process a little bit. And then she said, oh, yes, I do want to come over right now. And so she stopped at Starbucks, picked up the coffee, headed to Shauna's house, and she just sat on the bed and listened and encouraged as Shauna cleaned up that room. Friends, Jesus did not leave Shauna alone in that moment. And she knew it because Megan showed up, right? We can see Jesus in his people. So open up. Look around. Um, Another way we see Jesus, we look for him in his word. We actually read the Bible. This is God's revelation to his people. And I'm telling you, the more you read it, the more you see Jesus in it. In every uh, book and chapter and verse, he jumps off the pages. And so if you don't now have like a regular rhythm of reading God's word, Man, that's nothing to be ashamed about, but can I just encourage you? Read it. Open it. Don't let it gather dust on your shelf. Look for Jesus in his word. He will reveal himself there. He promises to. He says his word is living and active. It's going to speak to you as you read it, and you'll find Jesus. So how do we see Jesus? How do we witness him? We look for him in his people. We look for him in his word. One more way. Just ask Jesus to show himself to you ask him. Like in Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle Paul prayed that God would reveal, he would open the eyes of his people's hearts to see the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. So he's talking to a church that says, man, I'm not sure if you're taking all this in. I'm not sure if you're seeing all of who Jesus is. So here's what I'm going to pray that God would literally turn on the lights so that the eyes of your hearts can behold the immeasurable greatness of his power toward people like you and me. And so if Paul prayed that, why would we not pray that? Why would we not just ask, God, would you do that again, what you've done for your people before? Do for us now. God, show us who you are. How do we be a witness? We're just looking for Jesus. 
and his people and his word, and we're asking when we don't see you, would you just turn on the lights so that we can? Amen? City Light, be a witness simply means don't miss Jesus. See him. Have a personal account of what he's done for you and what he's doing for you today, all right? Number one, be a witness. How do we make uh, this season the gospel all about Jesus? Be a witness. Number two, you bear witness, okay? So as you witness him, tell somebody about it. Let me read John 1, 7 one more time. Here it is. John came as a witness. Why? To bear witness about the light. Why? that all might believe through him. He came as a witness so that he could share that witness so that people would believe and find life in Jesus. That means John's great goal was that all would see and believe. Friends, what is our mission as a church? It's to multiply disciples and churches. Our great goal is no different than John's great goal. It's that all might believe. And so I want to just tell you today how that's going to work. People believe in Jesus when they hear the good news through mouths like yours and mine. Through the words and the witness of people just like you and me. That's what John the Baptist is showing us right now. And I don't have to make a stretch. I'm not reaching for this one in the Bible. It is all throughout God's word. Let me show you just one other place. Romans says the same thing. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? That's good news. The door's open for everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. They get saved. Goes on. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? They gotta believe to call. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they gonna believe if nobody ever tells them? And how are they to uh, hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach who declare, who herald, who bear witness, who talk about, who share with their friends the good news of Jesus Christ. John came as a witness to bear witness. Friends, short story, people believe when they hear the good news from witnesses like you and me. And so let's get real practical. How do we bear witness here and now today? Number one, kind of like uh, before, you just pray and ask for opportunities. God, would you open doors? For me right now, one way I'm doing this, I'm praying for my cousin Jen. The last time we talked, she just shared with Sarah and I that she's searching. She's kind of wondering and wandering when it comes to faith and spiritual things and God. And so we just tried to share with her then and now I just pray for her. And when I pray for her, I text her, hey Jen, just prayed for you. And maybe that's super awkward, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm praying for opportunities and I just wonder if that might not open a door one day. So we just pray and ask. Paul did the very same thing. Here's what he wrote to the uh, Colossians. He said, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. This is my favorite part. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. 
I love that because that's the prayer I need to pray. I think what Paul is saying is, hey guys, I'm gonna go out and share the gospel and here's what I need. I need you to pray, number one, that I have opportunities, like the doors would open. And then number two, could you just pray that when those doors open, I don't like stumble through them. Like when I have opportunities to talk, I don't make it awkward while I'm talking to these people about Jesus. Paul's saying, hey, pray that there are opportunities that I make it clear. So if you've ever wondered, man, will I just make it awkward? Will I just stumble through that door? The answer is, I don't know, pray. (laughs) Pray that God wouldn't let that happen and then instead he would be clear, okay? We pray and ask for opportunities. Paul did it, I do it, you can do it too. We bear witness to the light, okay? One more way, how do we bear witness? After you pray, actually talk to somebody. Okay, don't just stay in the prayer closet and ask for opportunities and then go through your day and never seize them, okay? After you pray, actually talk to somebody. And I know this is the part that for a lot of people it gets kind of scary. Wait a minute, preacher. (laughs) You're saying that I actually should tell my neighbors or family or friends or coworkers, I actually should talk to them about Jesus? I don't know. Um, I know it gets scary. So let me just try to give you an easy way to open that door. Look, the Christmas season is an open door. People are celebrating whether they know the reason or not. Christmas is an open door. And so here's an easy way. You say, hey man, what do you guys do for Christmas Eve? Have you ever gone to church? Simple, friendly question that just might open a door to talk about Jesus or to invite them to celebrate Christmas Eve with us, or who knows what God might do when witnesses like us bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Friends, if being a witness means not missing Jesus, bearing witness means we don't let anybody else miss him either. So this Christmas, let's prepare our hearts and the hearts of the world around us for Jesus, the coming King, by knowing it's not about you, it's all about him. Amen? Would you guys pray with me? Awesome God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that a guy like John the Baptist shows up in every gospel at the beginning of your ministry. Mm. God, I thank you that John knew who he was, that there were parts of him that were a big deal. There were parts of him that people would have wanted to follow and celebrate. There were parts of him that he would have been really proud of, and yet he just knew he's not the light. It's not him. It's not about him. He knew it was all about Jesus. And God, I just know in my heart, I need to hear that. I need reminded of that. And so God, as we look at John the Baptist today, I just ask, would you make me, would you make us more like him? Would you make us witnesses to who you are and what you have done? God, would you enlighten our hearts so that we can see who you are and what you're doing? God, would you just make it clear for people who are sitting here today who followed Jesus for a long time and just feel like, man, I don't know the last time in my life I looked around and I thought, oh, that's Jesus at work. For people who feel like they've just been far from you for a while, God, would you open their eyes? 
God, for people who see you all the time, would you continue to give them that grace? (laughs) Would you continue to just let them soak in who you are and what you're doing? God, would you make us witnesses? As you do that, uh, God, I think the more challenging, the more scary, the more nerve-wracking step is that we wouldn't just be witnesses of who you are, but we would bear witness to people who don't know who you are. Oh God, would you make us a people that have you so deep in our hearts that we can't help but have you often on our lips? Would you take just a moment and ask God, what opportunities will you open for me to bear witness about you this week? God, where will I be? Where where have you put me where there are people that I can bear witness? When am I around those people? When should I be ready? Who are you putting in my path? A name and a face. So right now, just ask him. God, I just know when we see you, when we behold you, You never intended for the gospel to come to us and stop, but to come to us and move through us. And so we want to be like John the Baptist. Make us witnesses that bear witness. Oh God, would it be all about you? We tell our story, would it never highlight, would the headline never be City Light Church? Would the headline never be a city group? Would the headline never be Council Bluffs or Doug and Eric or Dan and the worship team or whatever? God, would it never be anything but only and always the main attraction, the main act, the headline of our story be Jesus Christ? God, don't let us miss you. And use us so that nobody in our city can miss you now or ever. God, for your glory and our good, make us witnesses that bear witness about you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.